Everybody, we're back again with another scaring is sharing. Yeah, the place where we share scares with each other and you. Hello, the listener, sometimes guests, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, this is a very exciting episode. Seventy seven is lots of people's lucky number, probably just because seven is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why that is, but <laughs> but it is seventy, and we often have guests. Not often. Every ten episodes, we have a guest. That's become our thing, and this week is no different. And it happens to be one of my all-time favorite people in the entire world, and that is Tess Hannah. Tess, hello. Hi. I'm um, I'm fangirling out right now. I can't believe I'm here. So thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> and you know what? I guess we should introduce ourselves. I always yes, like to skip please. over it. It happens. Who are who are you? I, I am uh, McKenna Grace. Uh, <laughs> sorry, joke from last Bad. episode. I'm never gonna let that go. <laughs> I am not McKenna Grace. I am Jeremy, the original Sasquatch Slim Rusk. And I'm Brandy Joe, the flaming Scream Queen plan back. I don't know when that came about, the flaming Scream Queen part, but it is truly I don't know. who I, I just am. I started using my it. Soul. Like, I decided Sasquatch Slim was like a good a horror movie identifier. It was a D&D character I played for years. And so I've just, it became a nickname. So Tess, what are you going to be? What is your Ooh. little handle going to be? Um, I'm Feminasty. 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 Ooh, Miss... from Aaron Gibson, one of my favorite podcasters, but I'm just of the crew, so I'm definitely Feminasty, Tess Hannah. Miss cool. Feminasty, if you're nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Tess, but like I just said in my little intro about you, you are truly one of my favorites. Last night, I met our mutual friend, John, for the first time. I, I think I may have met him just very briefly, yeah. but we were just gushing over our mutual adoration for you because you're truly just a very special and unique person. Thank so you. for That's anyone sweet. who doesn't know you, could you share just a little bit about yourself, including your pronouns? I would love to, to include those as well. Yeah, um, she, her, feeling the love of all of the pronoun talks. So thank you for doing that. A little bit about me. I'm um, thoroughly Midwestern. When I was in middle school, I had zero friends, and all I did was watch horror movies. Mm. It was a weird time. I mean, like middle school isn't weird for everybody. Mm. Totally. But that was where my love of horror sort of really blossomed. Mm. Yeah. Love um, it. And I'm just a big fan of podcasts. So listening to y'all has been such a treat all the time. And the diversity of movies that you have brought to our ears is <laughs> appreciated. And now I never have to watch so many things like Serbian film. And that's yep. You're doing community service for your <laughs> horror community elders who don't want to watch 
some of these things. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. Hilarious. And Tess, you are like one of the original Little Maniacs. Remember that? That's what we were oh, calling yeah, our little fans. Maniacs. And we haven't done that in a long time. I just saw an old Facebook post that said yes. that. So I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely a big <laughs> fan of Femomaniac of y'all. Just because <laughs> I think that what you, your, your chemistry, your rapport, and your dissection and discussion of all of these movies is wonderful to hear um not just because i don't want to see a disturbing film or whatever <laughs> not because of that because it's it's nice to like get this preview from you all and i know your perspectives because you're so open and sharing them so it's like oh they've made me really want to see that or they've made me know i cannot it's wonderful <laughs> so we're grateful for you in the in the horror fan community Oh yeah, my God, you're awesome, sweet. Awesome. And Tess, you're also no stranger to podcasts. You've had a podcast of your own. Tell us a little bit about that. And it's still I out there it. if people want to check it out. It's, it is still. Um, wherever you get podcasts on on um, iTunes or whatever it was, is. Yeah, I had a podcast called Tess Talks You Through. It was an advice podcast, um, which is was super fun to do. And um, the qualifications that I have to run an advice podcast. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And so I've been a mental health professional for 13 years. And um, I just like love talking to people about, well, everything. So it really suits me to podcast and want to podcast. And I'm a helper by nature. So that's why I did the, the advice podcast. And I know the airwaves are saturated with that, but you know, someday it may live again, and it's in a new iteration. Who knows? Well, it's you true. Know, the, the, the airwaves are saturated with the horror movie podcasts too, but we still decided to do it. So you have your corner. Yep. <laughs> and so being that as you may and this is veering off of the horror like talk a little bit but do you is it hard for you to walk away at the end of the day and not bring all of that with you it's got to yeah. be difficult yeah it is i think um anyone in a helping profession i think has like an element of that um not just like a social worker or therapist but also probably you know, doctors, nurses, and that kind of thing, especially these past couple of years, I think helping professions in general have gotten harder, maybe. Um, I know that when COVID started um, in March of 2020, I was a therapist at the time. And suddenly the problems that everyone was bringing to session was a problem I was also experiencing. Mm. And it made me step away from direct care for a while. I have more of an administrative role right now um, with only some clinical work just because it got really hard. But yes, I have often said, and you can, I can put this out into the universe, although it's not advice I would necessarily have everyone take. Sometimes you have to turn yourself into steel so that you cannot be affected by um, the problems that are presented to you. Cause I can't help someone if it becomes my crisis or my problem. Um, so it's like a little bit cold, but it makes me a more effective um, supporter in general, mm -hmm. collaborating with people. Speaking of turning yourself into steel, have you seen Tetsuo the Iron Man? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> have you seen Titan? 
No. I have not either. I don't know that that is an element of that, but I know she like has sex with a car or something. Yeah. <laughs> There's like an element of, of, like you do. There's an element of becoming one with steel to some degree. <laughs> and I, I got to check it out because I can't get my top 10 of last year until I watch that because it's on a lot of people's lists. Yeah, I heard Titan was like, an even wilder version of Crash. I was about Cr- to the Cronenberg crash. crash, yep. Yeah. So. But you weren't a fan of Raw, Jeremy. So no, I I'm wasn't. curious to see. Now, Tess, have you seen Raw? No. You've not? Oh, man, I want you to watch Raw. I don't know. I feel like it's a movie up your alley. Okay. But I, I may be wrong. Who knows? It'd be a wild card, though. So, Tess, we're so excited to have you here. And for the first time, we're going to do some teragrams. And for the first time, we're going to have a guest read a teragram, which is inter- which is terribly exciting. Oh, wow. No, because we have three today. And I just figured, why don't we just spread yeah. love like this? I'm doing, cool. the, I'm doing the money palm dance. He's making it rain. Making it rain. Thank you. That's what it's called, not the palm money dance. I like <laughs> the palm money dance. <laughs> Jeremy, why don't you kick us off with the first teragram? All right, uh, and this one comes from another elite friend of the podcast, Ethan. That's Ethan. Uh, and Ethan says, subject line is t-shirts and fun stuff. Uh, and Ethan says, hey guys, in episode 69, you guys talked about cool custom horror t-shirts. You know what would be really cool? Scaring is sharing shirts. I want to rep you guys beyond word of mouth, so let's do it. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> and would love to. I have some, I, not that I don't love our logo now, I do. Our dear friend Donnie did it. Tess knows Donnie. Donnie's very okay. talented. But I do have some ideas for like a new updated logo, which I think might translate better to a shirt. Oh, cool. So I, I'm, I'm all for that, and I, I would like to do it at some point. Yeah, so. I had some ideas too for like, shirt designs possibly yeah, as well. Yeah, so. and I want a hat. I love a good this hat. This is where y'all limited run it. So <laughs> that, you only do a small pressing of, yep. if we're talking records, of your first shirt and hat, and then your super scare share fans will collect them all, you know? Yeah. They'll, they'll get it. And later, when we're like huge and there's a million <laughs> yes. listeners, they'll all be like, we missed out on those t-shirts. And they'll there's, spend hundreds of dollars to try and get them on eBay. There's some site like Cafe Press or something, one of those sites. And you can just upload designs and get it on whatever the fuck you want. Like, it's mm-hmm. very easy to do if you just have like a high quality, like transparent Image. PNG or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but that, thank you, Ethan. And that sort of leads over to my telegram, which comes from our new friend, Alex and because Alex and I have talked about the same subject as well and Alex writes that the subject is podcast thoughts and he writes horror boob here by the way I love the podcast and pace of the show you guys have great chem and you guys dive deep into the movies I told Gingy, that's me, I'm Gingy. I told Gingy that I liked the new Texas Chainsaw movie, and when I listened to the podcast, you guys made points that never crossed my mind, which is fun to listen to other opinions without you guys totally shitting and degrading directors, etc. Excited for you guys and what's to come for you guys. Merch, special guests, in parentheses, me, LOL, etc. Purple heart, heart on fire, heart on fire, stay hot hotties, knife, knife. <laughs> awesome. Alex awesome. has a site on Depop. It's actually depop.com backslash 
horror boob. And there's lots of fun things there. VHSs with cool covers, those tie-dye horror shirts we talked about before, just all sorts of crazy wild things. But we have talked about some like glow-in-the-dark merch is where our conversation went. Like some sharing and sharing glow-in-the-dark merch up in here. Cool. And I did want to say he was talking about um, not shitting on directors and whatnot, because I feel like both you and I, we're not here to rain on anybody's parade, even if a movie is bad and we don't like it. Yeah, you know, there's still a little bit. I think I feel like a lot of the film criticism world out there on the Internet kind of loses, uh, you know, they lose the plot there where they're like, fuck this director. He's an idiot. And I don't think necessarily that's constructive or the the best thing to do unless they deserve it like if we found <laughs> out the director was like a shithead or something behind the scenes then go ahead but true and also i mean here's the thing there's lots of podcasts that they really dive into the the directors the the team the actors we really just sort of say here are our opinions on this movie i i realize so many times when i'm putting together the hashtags that we never mention the director's name we don't mention the actors names we mm-hmm. really just kind of say here's the movie and our thoughts like we don't dive into the logistics and again i'm not going to say that like those people are not important because they're what make the world go round but we don't that's not the sort of podcast we are but yeah i just want to say we do appreciate them and all that they do for the world and as i think i said in the texas chainsaw episode like that's something people really want in the future i could totally do like a deep dive texas chainsaw like special episode where you want to hear all the shit i know and have read about it but you know i know you could maybe for a later later time But Alex, thank you for writing in and for being such an avid listener. I adore it. He often does little Instagram stories when he's listening to the episodes and shouts out little elements that he's enjoying from them. And that's just so dear. So very very dear. And Tess, you have one as well. I do. Um, And I feel like um, I'm reading it from the words of a person that I know from being a regular listener. (laughs) Um, This terrogram is from Teacher Drew. Hey, guys. Hope all is well. My latest diversion is All of Us Are Dead on Netflix. It takes place at a high school in South Korea. There is a zombie breakout caused by a well-meaning science professor. It's definitely not an American high school, which perhaps makes it all the more interesting. Being a high school teacher myself, I appreciate the layers of social politics that are in play. If you haven't already, I would suggest giving it a watch. We are on spring break and I am off to Las Vegas for some self-care. Till next time, love to you both, Teacher Drew in Phoenix. Uh, have you seen that, Jeremy? Have either of you no, seen that movie? I, I have seen it come up like recommended to yeah. me on my Netflix, and I haven't watched it yet. And I'm like, it looks pretty cool. I, yeah, I'm it does look good. I, I don't care. I know we're oversaturated with zombies, but I love zombies. So I'll you like do. watch it. I'll watch every terrible zombie thing. So. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, thanks, Teacher Drew. It's always so good to hear. I hope you have an amazing spring break. I hope you watch some movies, whether they be horror or like Oscar bait, whatever. Just dive all up in there. I can't wait for the next big movie that's horror that has Oscar buzz. I feel like the last big one was Get Out, which was a while ago now. Like Mm -hmm. I thought Hereditary was going to. I was sure Tony Collette was going to be nominated for an Oscar. Same. Yep. But alas, yeah, the Academy, the Academy hates genre films, but they love to get out and, and for rightfully so like it had that strong social commentary. It was witty. It was very original. So I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I'm ready for the next one. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So yeah. Tess, now let's get to you. Let's focus 
on mm, Tashana, which is me. Tuned in for. That's right. I I like to put your names together. I, I like it. But I, Okay, great. I love it too. Um, so we have some questions for yeah. you. Jeremy, why don't you kick us off? Uh, so the first question is, so how much do you love a Serbian film? No, I'm joking. That's not, <laughs> that's not it. Um, so what is your personal horror aesthetic? Something we talk about, of course, all the yeah. time between us. So what, what's yours? I love ghost stories haunting movies. I love those the most. Um, those are my fave. Second runner up, huge fan of slasher. Just mm. love a slasher movie. It's my jam. They're great. Not a huge like um, alien um, outer space or submerged deep underwater. Not, oh, yeah. Those aren't like those don't speak to me as much. Um, the science fiction stuff doesn't speak to me as much. But a really good horror movie is a really good horror movie. So I'm not going to shy away just based on like premise. Um, you know, the I I'll kind of watch anything, but yes, I love hauntings the most. Absolutely. What, so are you a fan of the original alien though? It's so good. It's so scary. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's my regardless. A big fan. And yeah. he likes horror movies and I think he sort of probably is responsible for some of my horror love because mm. he loved that. And he also loved Tales from the Crypt. Oh, yeah. And I love Tales from the Crypt. The Crypt Keeper is one of my favorite, like, niche characters of the world. <laughs> mm. um, can't get enough Crypt Keeper. So. Are you a Demon Knight fan? Um, sure, yeah. I don't, I don't feel strongly. <laughs> okay. I love okay. the series and saw Demon Knight and was like, okay. Okay. But Billy Zane is so good at uh, it. Such True. a dreamboat. So, Tess, based on what you said, my natural follow-up question is, have you seen a ghost or had a paranormal experience since you love the genre so much? Yes. Thank you so much for giving me this platform to explore. <laughs> I would love to tell this ghost story that a friend of mine experienced as if it were mine, but that would be a lie to act like it was mine. But a friend of mine, Hillary, had the most amazing ghost story, which I have told a billion times as if it were mine because it's so good. Um, unfortunately, I have not experienced anything paranormal myself. Um, at least nothing that uh, made such an impression I'm carrying it with me, not like Hillary's story. <laughs> so no, but I've set myself up for so many, like um, there's this cemetery near where I'm from called Step Cemetery. S-T-E-P-P. Mm. And if you go and you sit in the witch's throne <gasps> at midnight, you'll die within a year. And like, I've definitely <laughs> sat in the witch's throne. Many and you're years. still here. I'm here. Um, so I, li I live for that kind of stuff. I love urban legends. Um, and and urban said, legend, the movie wasn't that bad. So I don't know. I'm sorry. You said that was the witch's throne. That's from your hometown, you said? Yeah, it's from, um, so there's in Yellowwood State Forest, uh -huh. um, which is in South Central Indiana, there's um, a little, very old, very small cemetery, like probably from 1850s. Yeah. And there is the witch's throne. And that's where oh. teenagers go and yeah. 
you know. I, th- I think that's so funny because I feel like the Midwest has these repeating legends yeah. that are everywhere because uh, I went to college, uh, Grand Valley in Grand Rapids area in Michigan uh, here. And um, for listeners that don't know, uh, but out there, I can't remember which town, but it was one of the little towns outside of Grand Rapids. There was an old cemetery from like the 1800s that was supposedly haunted. And me and my buddies went there ghost hunting and there was a bench you're supposed to sit on. And if you sit on it, because the cemetery was haunted by some old lady's ghost. And if you sat on that bench, you could feel her like grabbing your shoulders or like touching your head or something like that is what they said. So, and of course we went and did that and nothing happened. But You never <laughs> felt the massage from the nope. old ghost? <laughs> well, at least I didn't. I think my one, my one buddy said, he's like, I feel some kind of tingling or something, but I think he was forcing the experience. But you know, you never know. Yes. I read a book when I was in middle school called like things that go bump in the night they had all these tips and tricks for um, how to handle any of your ghost, your ghostly confrontations in life. And one of them was like, (laughs) if you're walking down the street and a ghost is walking towards you cross the street, they can't cross streets. And if you, there's a ghost in your area, surround yourself with a circle of salt. They cannot cross. And the surest way to see a ghost is to say, you don't believe in a ghost because then they'll find you. And I'm like, this is what Brandy donies. Brandy donies to say, I don't believe that you have a paranormal experience. This is all true. It's science. (laughs) My favorite is walk to the other side of the street from the ghost. can't cross streets. So wait, you got to tell Hillary's ghost story. Oh, okay. But I I don't want to use your airtime, but okay. No, I want to hear. So Bloomington, Indiana, um, home to Indiana University, has, as as any college town, um, people will leave for the summer. So they're trying to sublease places, right? Um, And they're much like, I'm sure, every Midwestern Big Ten college town. There's a lot of old, huge houses that have been divided into apartments where many people have lived for 50 plus years in this kind of more transient capacity. Um, So Hillary takes a sublease because I don't remember exactly why she left where she was living to move into this sublease just for the summer. So three months. She moves in with this guy, Chris, and he's friendly and nice, but he's an art student. So he takes himself pretty seriously as well as his um, work. So he's like always sketching, drawing, charcoal, pencil, you know, these things. And he's like, I'd love to sketch you. And Hillary's like, that's okay. (laughs) Um, but they're friendly and he's not like a creep or a weirdo. So Hillary's settling into her apartment. I think there are six apartments in the whole big house. And one night she wakes up and she swears there's someone in the room and she's like, wait, what? And she assumes that it's Chris and that he's for some reason coming to her room to sketch her. And she like sits up and wakes up and leaves her room and goes into his room and she wakes up. She's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I did what I am sleeping. What are you doing? She's like, were you just in my room? She's like, he's adamantly denying. And she then starts to feel weird about him a little bit, but like she doesn't believe him. So anyway, she's sleeping another night. She started to lock her bedroom door. She's like, that creep can't come draw me in my sleep. <laughs> and um, she has another experience where she wakes up, but the presence in her room is very close to her bed now. Mm. And it is, she described it as like brown and misty. And that when she fully woke up, it was gone. And she mm. was creeped out. Like, 
very, very intensely. She had one more of these in the middle of the night, waking up to a presence that was brown and misty um, and was like, this is too much for me. Um, One time she came home in the middle of the day and like the local radio station was blasting classical music very loud. And she like, did I leave my radio on? And she was like worried that the other apartments would be disrupted by this. She was like, this violin music is blaring throughout the house. And she was like, and she walked in and it was off. And she was like, maybe it was another apartment. You know, she wasn't sure. Um, So at the end of the summer, the sublease is over. She's leaving the apartment. um, And Chris, I think, is also leaving the apartment. So they're having like a little yard sale in front just to like get rid of whatever. And this couple comes by and they're like, oh my gosh, we used to live in this house. And she's like, oh yeah, I only lived here in the summer, but you know, it's, it's so cool. It's such an old, nice house. And they said to her, have you met the brown man? Has he played violin for you? <laughs> oh, creepy. Good Lord. Goosebumps. I wish it were mine. It's Hillary's. <laughs> <laughs> there is, uh, I have thoughts about this too, because yeah. parent, like that, to get all Dan Aykroyd from Ghostbusters on you guys, there's a lot <laughs> of, lot of uh, stuff out there about the idea that what we think are ghosts or spirits are actually some sort of transmission, you know, or bleed over from like an ultra, a parallel universe or something yeah. like that. If you want to get into quantum physics of it. So the idea that she was only half awake and can like, cause so many people have an experience where you're not sure if it was a dream or whatever, you're only half awake is somehow when we're in that liminal state, you're more mm-hmm. in tune to the vibration of whatever is going on, uh, you know, physics wise of you know an alternate universe they call them the one phrase is ultra terrestrials oh. which is that they they do exist here but they're from a higher like existence so they're not extraterrestrial they're not from another world but they are from our world but somehow in a different plane a different existence higher than we are and sometimes they bleed through that is so eerie and fascinating yeah. and there's I'm a lot here for you, it there's yes. so much on the you know the internet of course that you can really track a lot of stuff down but it sounds that's a legit story right i know that it's is. so good yes thank you hillary <laughs> well jeremy uh give Tess another question all right let's go for it Let's go for a softball kind of thing and just fun. What what's what's the first horror movie you ever remember seeing? Your first scary movie? I guess it doesn't um, even have to be horror. Like just what's the first scary movie you remember seeing? Poltergeist. Mm. My Solid. cousin let me watch it when I was way too young. I think I was I was like five or six. Whoa. Wow. And I strongly <laughs> identified with Carol Ann because she was five or six. And I was like, that's <laughs> like me. There you um, go. And it scared me so bad. I've watched it recently within the past couple of years. It scared me so much in my 30s. Like, it's such a scary movie. It still creeps me out, especially because I so am a strong believer in ghosts and hauntings that and that movie does such a good job of doing like legit like they from what i understand when writing the script they borrowed from real like haunting stories and real like legendary paranormal cases to construct the the movie so it works yeah it holds up to this day like the effects in it are still strong 
I, I know we're in the same um, Facebook group, Tess, so you probably saw it, but I got a Tangina nightlight recently, <laughs> and I posted it in there, and it has gotten quite a few likes, and I posted the link. I always, when I get something from Etsy, and I put it on there, and people are all about it, I'm like, here's the link. I want to share the love. Share the scares. <laughs> yes. Yes, Tangina is my cat's name. She's sleeping over there right now. Yes. I'm a big fan of Tangina and um, Zelda Rubicine in general. She's uh, just mm -hmm. great. Oh my Love God. Her. Have, have so you good. seen, have you seen angst? Speaking of I, Zelda Rubenstein. I haven't. You all talked about it though. Yes. yes. I remember it. I can still see you both say this so frequently, but I have the same experience where you can still see the movie box cover yes. on the shelf at the video store. I can still see the cover of that. Yeah. Uh -huh. A close this, up of her face with like a spiral, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> so, what are some horror movies that you love that everyone else hates, or vice versa? Oh, I don't think my tastes are like probably very divisive, but um, um, one of my all time favorites, I love, 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 love The Descent. Um, Brainy Joe, I know you're not a fan, <laughs> and I'm sorry. And it, I think what I like the most about it is it's one of the only horror movies that like passes the Bechdel test. Mm. And it also, um, it's a creature movie, which is not like my typical go-to. It's not one I think I'm going to like always like with weird creatures, but that movie is effective. And I think... Brandy Joe, your complaint about it was like, I think like some lack of characterization or the script, you felt like the writing and acting were just not good. I was not daunted by any of that. I love that movie. And it, I missed it the first time around until a, a horror fan, a friend of mine, Danny, he put it on his like favorite list. And I was like, oh, what is this? I was captivated and have watched it four times since discovering it. And I love, love, love it. Um. Let me, can I interject really oh, quick? Please, please. For anyone who may not know, can you talk a little bit about the Bechdel test? Because it's come up in my conversations in the last couple of weeks multiple times. And if someone doesn't know, will you explain what it is? Oh, sure. So Alison Bechdel is like um, a very important person in our um, <laughs> in our world. We are, we are lucky to have her. She wrote a comic back in the day that I read and I loved called Dykes to watch out for. She's amazing. And she also wrote a memoir called fun home that was mm. turned into a Broadway musical that is just so wonderful. And I so think good. that might be a lot of people's introduction to Alison Bechtel. She established this um, criteria that movies must meet to pass the Bechtel test. And I wish I would be a better um, feminasty person if I could tell you the exact criteria and then maybe I should have been googling it while I'm talking it's killing time right now but I'm not um it has to feature I think at least three women and I probably people are listening to their podcasts and shouting like ah, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry I know I'm just I just haven't looked at the criteria recently and they have women have to have conversations with each other that are not about men Mm -hmm. And women have to be featured, I think, not as just pure love interest. So essentially, women have to be fully developed characters that have agency mm -hmm. and address things that are not um, male characters or love interests specifically. And so and the Bechtel test is not a lens I think we probably often hold up when we're critiquing horror movies um, because it's so a very specific genre that 
you know, we're not necessarily seeking this, but I do love that the descent passes the Bechdel test. I'm sure others do too. I think it just stood out to me because it's, um, it's a cast of the characters are just, they're just women characters. And that rarely happens. Usually it's like a mixed bunch. I like uh, to bring up surprisingly, uh, and it's horror related, the movie Independence Day passes the Bechdel test because in the biggest, the biggest thing is because the first lady, and I can't remember these character names, but, and then Will Smith's girlfriend have scenes together and they aren't talking about their spouses or anything like, you know, they're talking about themselves together. So it's like, Oh, wow. That's, that's impressive yeah. for yeah, an action-oriented Hollywood yeah. blockbuster type. It is. I listened to a podcast <laughs> that talked all about it. Um, there's a podcast it. out there that's about the Bechdel test. Oh, that's of smart. Sure. I'm, I love that. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I just pulled it up real quick on Wikipedia, and it just says it has to feature at least two women characters who to talk to each other about something other than a man, and sometimes the requirement is that the two women must be named <laughs> which I would hope they must they be are. actual characters. Essentially, yeah. I wish that it was a little more because it just has a conversation. I wish it was like that there was at least five minutes of conversation because, like, sure. I, I think it's fairly basic, but it still is amazing how many things don't pass it. So yes, a lot. It, it's just crazy how how few. That, that, that it doesn't how few movies actually seem to pass it so i think right. it's important and i want to start keeping it better in mind when watching any movie no less yeah. horror movies because i think it is something interesting to keep in mind because they talked about it on three funny ladies recently and so it's been a lot on my mind and i'm glad you bring it up but yeah. i i cut in do you have any other sort of divisive movies uh i really like i said i don't think that my opinions are in general about movies are super divisive because they're not that, I don't have super strong opinions sometimes about them. Like The Ring is one of my favorites. And I thought it was way better than the original. And I know um, I asked you all to address like some remakes um, before, but I know that like, that's sort of maybe divisive in itself to being like, no, the remake was better. Like, cause people are supposed to be precious about the original or something. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't feel precious about the original um, for that purpose. And there are some remakes that I have just avoided because, like, I I've never seen the remake of Poltergeist. I don't. I didn't need it. No, don't. Yeah. Um, I, saying that too, it. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. I keep thinking I want to, and maybe I did because I don't remember everything we've ever talked about. But like one of my divisive ones that I I keep seeing people talk about it on the internet again. It's getting re reevaluated probably because they're making another remake. But the remake of the Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro. Mm. Everybody hated it when it came out. I mm. thought it was a very good movie. I really liked that one. So that's one okay. that, for me that floats out there that a lot of people were like, it was boring and dumb and silly, but I, I thought all of those things were great about it. Uh, and it was like a gothic horror movie mm -hmm. at a time when they just aren't doing that. Gothic monster movie at a time when they aren't, they weren't doing that. So I yeah. feel like if, if it came out a little later, it probably would have been more popular because they kind of, kind of swing back towards those sorts of things, but alas. Alas. <laughs> Do you have another question, Jeremy? I, I got, you know what? I'm going to hit you with like a, a, a twofer here. Yeah. A twofer? And why did I close the... <laughs> I closed my app, sorry. I thought of something divisive. Ooh, oh, tell. okay. <laughs> sorry. Did it just tell? hit me. Um, so the Conjuring movies, 
Huge fan. Love a haunting. So <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Device, no, 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 no. I promise. It's not about how the devil made me do it. It's so good. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't so good, okay. but I still liked it. No, my divisive um, idea there is that I know that Ed and Lorraine Warren are not wonderful people. Mm. Mm-hmm. I know that. However, their movie version of them they're like one of my all-time favorite couples. I'm like obsessed with their love on film. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I love Ed and Lorraine Warren. I would watch like a TV show or a series or million movies about Ed and Lorraine Warren as this ghost haunting medium couple that love the Lord. It's so <laughs> against my personal like interests too. I'm obsessed with them. And I know a lot of people are like, Ed and Lorraine Warren were swindlers and they're mm. jerks. And I can't believe you guys like these movies. And I can't help it. I'm obsessed with them on film <laughs> in this way. I love them. And I'm not, I feel very unapologetic about it. Good. Uh, I'm glad I have you a similar, are. I have a similar opinion. Like I yeah. love, I love their fictional versions, <laughs> but I know it's incredibly problematic. The real people, like yeah. you know, they helped perpetrate the Amityville story, which mm-hmm. is a giant made-up hoax. Uh, sorry, people, if I just burst anyone's bubble that didn't <laughs> know that. But but wait, because you brought that up, have you heard about Amityville in space? Yes, <laughs> it is a new trailer that came out this week. I've not watched it, but. I'm fascinated by the Amityville property because it's a place people can do a movie about it. It's not like a Nightmare on Elm Street where it's like trademarked. It's, it can't be like trademarked because it's a literal place and the house can be made to look just ever so slightly different and people can get away with it. A local filmmaker made a movie called The Amityville Vibrator. Like there are so many Amityville movies and Amityville in space, I guess looks horrible. And I really want to see it. <laughs> I know there was, there's also the Amityville shark or something like that is out there. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many low. Budget. I think we could have a podcast about that too. A spinoff Amityville podcast, the we Amityville could. podcast. <laughs> we could <laughs> trademark TM TM. Anyway, uh, the question, the twofer I was going to give you is, um, what are your all-time favorite horror movies? And then spinning off of that, so what's the horror movie you think you've seen the most number of times? Repeat, mm. repeat watches. Yeah. Um, the Descent is one. Um, Final Girls is one of them, too. Mm. So good. So yes. fun. Um, the Ring is one of them. I feel like I've already talked about them. Sorry. Um, I also love Nightmare on Elm Street. I love Freddy Krueger. Big fan um can't get enough of it even the ones that aren't good i still <laughs> i still like them and appreciate them and will watch them again and again and again i thought new nightmare was great mm. um mm-hmm. i love scream um so i think i may be a huge west craven fan although i've seen things that i have not loved um anyway that west craven has <laughs> And I have a soft spot for like Stephen King horror movies that are not good. So I'm not saying like The Shining, which, you know, is precious and everyone loves. I mean, like Sleepwalkers Mm. and People Under the Stairs and Mm -hmm. Pet Cemetery. Those are some movies I watched like nonstop and on repeat when I was like watching a lot of horror movies. And same with some Dario Argento, although I'm less familiar, but I have just watched Suspiria and trauma and opera a million times for for no reason they're not great um necessarily suspiria is sure but you know 
I feel like I just would get into a habit with them and mm-hmm. want to watch them again and again and again. Now, th- I'm going to go off of something you just said, which I'm interpreting in my mind to be a certain thing, which is going to lead into my question for you, because you've also mentioned it in an email you wrote to us, a, a teragram many years ago. I would venture to say that one of those Wes Craven movies you don't like is Last House on the Left. How would you guess that? <laughs> because you have definitely uh, alluded to or uh, directly addressed that you're not a fan of rape in movies, I think, in general. Um, but I think specifically when it deals with, um, I mean, all rape is violent, but when it's a, a, a part of... Plot device. Yeah, like that, like as a plot device. And I, I have to know because you are someone that I really value your opinion and you make me think every time I use the word bitch, I think about it because of you, because you're not a fan of that word. Um, you, you don't say it as far as I know. And it is something that crosses my mind when I say it. I'm not going to say all the time, but it's something I, I try to keep in my mind because, and you've never ever, I got to say, you've never been like, don't use that word. You're not the type of a person. You're just the type of person that you let your feelings be known and you sort of say, here's why I feel that way. And it never comes across as pushy or um, or that you're judgmental of other people who act in a different way. But I really want to know um, about your stance on that sort of genre and that sort of aspect of stories because I think it's um, I think it's important and I, I would like to hear a little bit more about it. Sure. I wish I had my thoughts like just more nicely parsed out in a like really digestible <laughs> manner for the listeners. Um, yeah, you're correct, Brady Joe. I I don't ever need to watch a movie that has rape, um, a rape scene specifically. Like you can infer it if you, as a writer, think it's essential to the plot. You can infer it without glorifying it. Hollywood rape is very different from real world rape. This probably, there's many reasons I feel this way, but one of them is, is probably being a clinical social worker and therapist and having to hear, I can't tell you the number of times that I've counseled um, people who are um, survivors of childhood sexual abuse and just with that constantly, it's a part of my almost daily life, it seems. I think it just started to make me really think about the media that I was consuming and the world I was living in where this happens to nearly everyone I've ever given therapy to. And I've been a mental health professional for 13 years. And I'm like, you know, it just started to make me think, I guess, I do not need um, rape to make a female character want to do something wild. It's so boring. So I think maybe I'll reduce it to that, that I need more. I need creativity. We've seen it. It's been done. It was dumb. Let's move on. (laughs) So I, and I feel strongly about like, I just don't, we don't need it. There are other reasons and I need people to be more creative. I feel the exact same way about the perpetuation of mental illness as a reason for violence. And I know, I know I'm being very grounded in the real, real world and that horror movies are not the real world. I'm not delusional um, to think that I have to apply real world logic to them. But because I don't have to apply real world logic to them, they can be as wild as they need to be. I don't need someone who's an escaped mental patient to be committing crimes because that perpetuates the stigma against people with mental illness when we all know for a fact that people with mental illness are far more likely to be victims of violence than to commit violence. It's just 
boring and it doesn't help, which is something I loved about the Scream movie. I might have already said it in a telegram to you, so I apologize if I'm being redundant. But I loved this person, um, the main character. She had a problem with psychosis, and yet she was not a violent murderer. And I'm like, how cool to just have someone be a character that has mental illness. What do you know? And it didn't make <laughs> them kill anyone. It's way more interesting to me that, you know, Freddy Krueger was a murderer in his like real world. And then, and then he, he killed people in the dream world. That's so much more interesting to me to not like, well, it's because he was schizophrenic. No, we don't need any of that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And this very badass woman who wants to kill a bunch of dudes it's because they gang raped her twice. No, 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 no. That's disgusting. And I don't need it. Like, cause that could happen in reality. A man does not get sliced across the face with a meat cleaver and then walk around the town before Leatherface gets there. You know what I mean? Like that can't happen. So let's keep the violence gratuitous in that way. I don't know if that was clear at all. No, oh, it makes I, perfect sense. It does. And so let me ask you this. Do you, like before you go see movies, is there some way of you knowing if these are elements of them? Or like if you're at the theater and something happens, do you walk out? Like what, how does that work in your movie going experience? Yeah, I have walked out of movies before. Um, if I'm at home, which I guess is where I watch more movies now than ever, I will leave the room because I just, I don't need to see it. I don't need it in my psyche. Um, we just watched, I'm blanking on the name right now, but it's a Ridley Scott movie with Matt Damon. The Last Duel. Thank you. We just watched The Last Duel, which was, okay. Um, <laughs> and it's shown in three sort of scenes. It's the same story told from three different characters' perspectives. And in one, I knew that that character was raped. And that was like, ugh you know, like, oh gosh, I, that happened. And then in the next one, they had to like show it. And I was like, you didn't need to do that. Ridley Scott, 83 year old man, <laughs> we already know it happened. So it, you didn't help further the story. And I don't, and I, I know that my opinion is not popular and I'm not trying to change anybody's mind. It's just, if this is just me, I don't need to. Supposedly you can on that website, that is something like, does the pet die? Mm. They will say all kinds of things that happen in a movie including mm-hmm. rape, I suspect. I have been known to, in my older age, um, <laughs> read a Wikipedia plot synopsis before seeing a movie, just to check. So some of that is, um, in my older age, since I've been 21, it was, I have a story about it. I, I don't do gore anymore, like mm. like I used to do gore. Can't do it. Just makes me feel sick now. So I, I read a lot of Wikipedia plot synopses to see, is there a lot of rape? How gross are these murders? That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll do my homework so that I'm not like surprised by it. I don't, I don't want to be surprised by that. I want to be surprised by him breaking down the wall and getting his chainsaw back. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, and thank you for sharing all that because I, sure. I think it's a really fantastic point of view. And and I think it's one that 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 I like to hear more about. And I so I I appreciate you getting into a little bit. Cause I know at one point in a letter you're like, I could go on and on about this. And I was like, please do. Yeah. We we welcome all. <laughs> all viewpoints because you know thank you that's why you have us you can listen to us talk about we're desensitized we don't give a shit about what we (laughs) watch to that degree you know we'll watch anything and then talk about it so 
Can I say one more thing about it? Yes, yeah. please. If, and I've seen that people want to have like, um, you know, a response and I, I welcome other people's opinions, please have them, please. Um, they're like, but rape is a real thing that could happen to a woman. I agree. However, you know, men have many holes to be penetrated and somehow we have billions of movies and men are not being raped at the <laughs> frequency. So why wouldn't, a, why wouldn't a character from Hills Have Eyes rape one of the dudes? He's a, a, you know, he's a Hill person who's been created through nuclear experiments. I don't think his sexuality is important here because it's not, rape isn't about that. We already yeah. know that. So anyway, yeah, I, you're exactly. right. I keep on forever, so I'll stop. Sorry. I've got, I've got some movies <laughs> with that very, you know, the flipped scenario. I've got some choice sure. selections for that'll sure. come up at some point. But no, no, exactly what you're talking about, too, is why, for example, I've mentioned it before. I'm not a fan of the movie Irreversible. Ugh because of the way it's staged and plotted. Yes. And exactly as you said, Hollywood rape, that's exactly what that movie is. It's done in a salacious way, I feel, the way it's staged and uh, what you you are have to experience. And I, at the end of the day, it's just not a great movie Yeah, <laughs> because of that in my mind. But a lot of people will shout me down and tell me, no, it's an artistic masterpiece. And Gross. That's For fine. Sure. But as a viewer, I don't have to watch it. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's my why own it's my choice. opinion. I like, don't have to watch that movie, so. Yeah. Everyone whatever, else whatever, I, whatever do what I do what I want. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Taz, thank you for all of that. I love, like, I could just talk with you all day long. And we've luckily had many an excursion to the theater. We just went to see a very bloody Oklahoma this past week. Um, so I, I, I welcome it all the time. And I'm so glad for you to be here to, to share thank it with you. us. So let's dive into it. Let's, why don't you share with us your movies? Unless your there's scares. anything else. You, yeah, let's, let's share your scares. I want the scares. Okay. I know one for certain, and it's because um, I'm such a huge fan of Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, I love Freddie, so I love Robert England. He's wonderful. And because I met Brandy Joe doing theater, there's a movie from 1989, uh, the Robert England Phantom of the Opera. Cool. Have you seen it? I've never seen it, and I've always wanted to. You have not, Jeremy? No, I've never seen it. You know what? And I don't think I've seen it all the way through. I think I've, I know I've talked about this on the podcast. I went to go see it with my friend Justin when we were 10 at the movie theater, but it was a late showing and they would not let us into the theater, even though we saw Pet Cemetery like the month before or whatever. So yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it. I know we've talked about, well, we'll get into an aspect of it that I, that, that I, that I definitely know about. And Tess and I talked about this past week when we went to the theater, but super excited. I mean, I think we both know what a Phantom of the Opera is. Mm -hmm. Right. And Absolutely. I know, um, you know, Jeremy, I know you're such a fan of old, old, old silent films. So, mm -hmm. you know, I know you're familiar with the story. <laughs> I know. I love Phantom of the Opera. Like uh, my, my little bit of theater knowledge, of course, and my wife also being a theater person, but Phantom of the Opera, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber, that's my favorite stage show like ever. I love the Phantom of the Opera. So nice. I am an unabashed Phantom fanboy. Nice. Well, I am so excited to watch it. I imagine it's just the same story, just with a bit more violence and a bit more like his face isn't going to be just slightly disfigured. It's going to be like it's going to be Freddy Krueger. Like, why else yeah. would you? Get why else would you do it? Robert England, unless it's to play off. I know the ad campaign was like he was Freddy. Now he's the Phantom. So I know they played off of the Freddy. He was Freddy Krueger when they made this movie. So that's so fun. OK, cool. And what else are you going to give us? 
So now I'm torn. The other one I was considering um, is from 1986. It's horror adjacent. Mm, We love adjacent. Gothic. I've never seen it. Starring Gabriel Byrne, Julian Sands, Natasha Richardson. Okay. I've heard, I've heard of it. Um, I can see the cover. I can see the cover too in my head. Yeah. With the little guy like on a bed or something. And I know Nightmare by Henry Fusilli. Yes. (laughs) I know. I know it's a, uh, it's a cult classic. So. Well then let's just stop there. Okay. Let's make these the two. Cool. I was searching my brain. I was racking my mind. Like where, how will I give them something interesting or something they haven't seen that might not be terrible? I warning, they, they might be terrible. We'll see. (laughs) Well, we won't know. Gothic. I feel is about them talking about like Mary Shelley and th- like that group gathering when they come up with the story. Oh yeah. With Lord. I think Byron that's what it's about, Mary but Shelley I don't know a hundred percent, but yeah, but I think that's what it's about. And I may be a hundred percent wrong. Don't tell us. Wait, wait, don't yeah. tell me. That's a podcast, right? Yes. <laughs> NPR. <laughs> but don't tell me. Um, But I think that's what it's about. I think it's about the tales being spun is what I think. Do you, Jeremy, do you know? I think that that sounds about right. I know like using the name Gothic somehow has got to be tying into Gothic literature, the most, you know, important use of the phrase Gothic. And that would be Frankenstein and some of, you know, Lord Byron's work. So uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think they're spinning some yarns. Maybe it's got something to do with demons considering that the nightmare was used as the like image for the cover. So maybe it's got some satanic demon shit, which I'm also into. Uh, and I love the 80s. So this is very good. And I'm excited because I know you guys keep quoting what I believe is a painting. And I guess I never put that together that that was what the cover was. So mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to look at it again and also look at the painting because I never put that together. Oh. And I, I must know what you're talking about, but it doesn't immediately come to mind. So Well, now the more you know. <laughs> da, 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 da. Uh, <laughs> well cool well let's watch these and come back and talk about them yeah Sid, don't you blame the movies movies don't create psychos movies make psychos more creative We are back. Yeah, we are. Tess, you're here again. What a joy. I'm here. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I am so excited. And we have watched the movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're speaking for all of us, Jeremy. You're very confident. I'm very confident we have, unless you're. it's all an incredible <laughs> ruse and uh, y- y'all are going to play a trick on me. Nope. So let's start with The Phantom of the Opera from 1989. Yes. And on Letterboxd, the tagline they're using is, only love and music are forever. I like the poster I saw online, though, that said, like, First he was Freddy. Now he's the Phantom of the Opera with, you know, Robert Englund and like that. Yes. That's totally cool. Uh, So the plot description is, when Christine Day accidentally discovers a rare piece of music, she brings back to life its composer, Eric Dessler. Through her fascination with the music, she is transported back to Dessler's time, 1889, and is thrust into stardom by singing his opera as no one else can. But against the exciting backdrop of the opera lurks a hideous danger, the Phantom, and Christine soon finds herself the object of his relentless desire. 
yeah it's just the plot of phantom of the opera if you guys don't know this you know (laughs) pretty much get get cultured people come on you should know this by now it's like a million years old just bookended with modern day 1989 and time travel yep uh yeah i guess i assume that's what was going on but you know or he it almost seemed like he made a deal with the devil at some point so in my mind he is eternal yeah he's immortal but for her she traveled through time or yeah. she just had a a mental no, like a yeah, dream. past life i think it was like dracula they do sometimes where he's after mina because she's a reincarnation of one of his past loves that's mm-hmm. where i was going oh okay and she was like past life regression i feel like that would have been and that probably that could very well be exactly what it was. I think it would have been more interesting if there would have been these like parallels in time as opposed to like the tired old device of getting hit in the head. It's very Wizard of Oz y, yeah. which yeah. Wizard of Oz, it works great. But so many other times, it's just like, it's just my all time least favorite device in a film is when it starts off crazy and then it's like 24 hours earlier. I just find it very lazy. I'm like, tell the story differently. And I don't mind like the going back in time, but I don't like the time card of 24 hours earlier. Like just show me, don't tell me. <laughs> and not that that's what happened here, but I had to go into a tangy, a tangina. A little tangy. First off, this movie was very cheesy. But so very, very fun. So fun. So fun. Like 80s in all the right ways. But let's yeah. let's be honest. The absolute best thing about it is that it's Molly Shannon's very first movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was like, what? I showed Joe because when they did a Molly Shannon episode on Three Funny Ladies, they touched upon this. And I was like, weird it is. And I totally forgot. And so we got to Molly Shannon. I heard the voice first. I'm like, what is that voice? Who is that? And then they, I saw her and I was like, oh, my God, it all came into place. And then I showed Joe and he was like, and I like looked at him. I'm like, is that fun? And he's like, I haven't placed who that is yet because it's just so long ago. Although, mm-hmm. I mean, she looks pretty much exactly the same, but yeah. it's so wild. Such a, a funny first movie. Also, so very surprising to see Bill Nye uh, appear in there where I was like, oh, I didn't know he was doing horror movies back then, like 80s horror movies back then. So fun. Yeah. Um, my complaint for the Molly Shannon thing is why they had to have a different Meg in the yeah. flashback. She didn't yes. like sing that or perform. Me for a second. So why couldn't she be like also paralleled? I don't know. I just wanted more Molly Shannon because I love her. A hundred percent. And if you're going to have her called Meg and then have a Meg in the end and or like in the past, that's where that whole, I don't know, like the, the, that's where I feel like it's just like the Wizard of Oz as opposed to like past lives mm-hmm. because there's also two Megs. Yeah. But one's yeah. not Molly Shannon. Right. Strange. <laughs> Strange. But it is fun. It is, you know, definitely more violent than the majority of the family operas. Yeah. But it's still, I know I touched upon this in the first episode or the first half, but it still surprises me that I couldn't go see this at the movie theater, but I could see Pet Cemetery, which is, I would venture to say, a good more 40% more violent than this is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I I'm not fam- as familiar with the other Phantom of the Operas. Yes, to the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, I'm familiar with that. But I 
I think I've seen the, it's a silent film from like 1925 or something. Yeah. I want to say 25 with Lon Chaney. Okay. I've seen that once or, or maybe even just parts. So I don't know if some of the grosser parts of this, not like murder necessarily, but like he's a little bit leather face, you know, harvest skin to wear sometimes when he's going out. Yeah. (laughs) And I like, that definitely is not from the original. He wasn't skinning people. No, 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 no. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was a cool idea though. Instead of just doing the mask, which is, it's always a different variation of the mask is what's appeared in every like movie and stage adaptation. But here it's like literally, yeah, like Leatherface, he just sews other people's skin to his face to create the mask. Uh, I was getting serious because I just rewatched it with some friends, Sam Raimi's Dark Man. Uh, I was getting some vibes of that with the whole like he gets uh, mutilated, disfigured, and then he has like fake faces he wears throughout the rest of the movie. But that actually came out like a year after this. So I wonder if Sam Raimi saw this and <laughs> took a cue for Dark He's Man. Inspired. Yeah, he did. Inspired. Often when his face was off, he would look like Freddy, like, yeah, which is the whole, especially at the end, at the end, when she just rips it off. It's like, oh, there's Freddy underneath. It was just afraid. What I, it made me want to like, well, I did. I went, I went ahead and Googled Robert England in general, because of course we know and love him as Freddy. He's so damn easy to watch. Mm -hmm. Like, so while of course the makeup, I'm like, oh, it's Freddy. But even like just watching him act, watching him be in every iteration of Eric Dessler or the Phantom, I'm like, he's so easy to watch. He's just so good on film. He's he's great. I just it just reinforced my love for him. Yeah, he's definitely, I think, an underrated character actor. Like people know him and know, especially because of Freddie. But get him outside of Freddie. Uh, uh, and he's got so many great little bit parts when you start to go through his filmography uh, that he's definitely underutilized and underrespected, I'll say. And I love his nose. And I actually appreciate that when he had, a, when he put his face on to go out, that he didn't look quite like Robert England. Like you could tell it's him, but it wasn't just like Robert England without makeup. Like there was like prosthetics and he just mm-hmm. looked a little different. And I appreciated that as opposed to them just putting some fake, fake scars on to be like, oh, look, he has his face on. Like I thought he looked different. They made something different with his face. Yeah, he almost, I was trying to picture, my favorite game to play while watching anything is, she looks a little like, and then fill in the blank. (laughs) I do this with everything I watch. It's very fun for everyone who watches things with me. And I was like, he looks a little like Val Kilmer. Like he's wearing a Val Kilmer Mm. mask. (laughs) Or or the actor Nick Moran, who played um, a snatcher in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. He looked like him. I, mm. That might be too deep of a cut, but um, <laughs> I was like, this weird face is looking interesting and familiar and compelling. So anyway. That's a more fun game than I have a buddy that does. That guy looks just like, and then he says who it is because he just never can <laughs> remember what anybody looks like because we were watching The Faculty a while back and he's like, man, that guy looks just like a young Elijah Wood. And we're like, that is a young Elijah. So. <laughs> That's so funny. The conversation came up between Tess and myself when we went to go see Oklahoma because I am really not a fan of Jill Sholin. 
Is that how you say her last name? Sholin? Sure. Shaylin? Something? And she just drives me bonkers. There's just something about her voice. And I love a raspy-voiced mm-hmm. person, especially a female presenting type. But something about her just... I don't gel with it. And she is definitely like... an. I, I'm not gonna say underappreciated. That may not be the right word, but a lesser known scream queen because she did a lot in like the '80s and the early '90s, and then she dropped off the face of the earth. She's still alive. I don't know her from anything else. I think this is you the don't? only movie I've ever seen her in. Yeah. The Stepfather, Popcorn. Stop oh, the, the Stepfather, but I don't remember the Stepfather very well. When a stranger class calls is one of my back. Fate. Yes, that's another one. Tess and I talked about that I've never seen with Brad Pitt. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've not nope. seen it. Nope, I I missed all these. I'm looking. So at I will defend right her now. in my memory. <laughs> I'm a big fan of her. I think she's gorgeous. I love her voice. I was disappointed with some facets of her interpretation of Christine, <laughs> especially at the end. Because while I can buy that Christine in any in any form of fan of the opera is a little helpless. She's um, she lacks agency. I feel like at the end, you know, Christine got some guts and she was like, I'll tear his face off mm-hmm. and um, I'll stab him. And love is not forever. Forever ends now. <laughs> but even her acting, like after she ripped his face off, her face was very blank. Her face was very stoic and unaffected. And I was like, huh. And then she stabbed him with some angry words. And then she was just, again, a little blank. I was like, are we affected? I, it was weird. Yeah. yeah. And then Raul, her like actual love interest was names was changed to Richard. Yeah. Just, yep. just like an odd choice. I mean, Very. I guess it's a little more, I don't know. English. Because they did. Yeah decide to put this in England instead of uh, like when she time travels, it's suddenly in England instead of uh, Paris. So, you know, that was a big change. Yeah. But still uh, that just annoyed me. Like still be Raul. But there were lots of great one liners. Like someone said, you're a thing from hell. And he said, and you sir are hell bound. (laughs) Fun. Yeah. He was just a killing machine just out in the streets, killing dudes. I mean, uh, it's, uh, somewhere I read a blurb where they said clearly they're borrowing from Jack the Ripper as well, where they decided totally. to like take that and just meld that onto the Phantom of the Opera. So, yeah, and I think they played him. Um, and I think they're supposed to. I think we're supposed to feel some sympathy for Phantom. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that I feel like all of the sex workers or the bar maidens were like, "You leave him alone. He's quiet <laughs> and he doesn't mean anyone any harm." And like. <laughs> Except for all the people he just stabs without warning, but you know. He's this protected outcast in our society or something. Um, And he carries a whip. Which was awesome. (laughs) I I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, I I literally out loud went, yes, when he pulled out the whip and just whipped (laughs) the guy. It's like, this is incredible. Incredible. 
but then like they they somehow that like detective or whatever i don't even know who it was that there's the two the people inspector. they're like they're in the church and like they link these things to christine and i'm like i don't think like there's not csi back then like i don't i think that that seemed pretty far-fetched for them to be like it's all because of this christine girl i'm like that's some bullshit right there like no in, in, in victorian england they would have been like what immigrant did this that's who we're gonna <laughs> so yeah that was not historically accurate of the police to actually be yeah. investigating at all really and um the kills were multiple and gross and did mm -hmm. he kill the critic with just by squeezing a towel really tightly on his yes head? yeah he just started <laughs> bleeding from his orifices through the towel it was <laughs> Pretty it's cool. like why not put his face in like some like uh, cinders or something like because they're in like a sauna like do something mm -hmm. with the heat yeah cook him cook him cook alive. him cook him alive i did appreciate that the very 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 end there wasn't like a nod up of the hat and like he like winks at the camera or something it was just mm -hmm. sort of implied like is that him playing the violin or whatever? But like, and I just appreciated just the, the subtlety of that. Oh, well, I, there oh. was supposed to be a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And I thought of something too, that I read as to why it's clicking, why Molly Shannon is not in the past too. Cause apparently the, the like the bulk of the story, the Victorian setting, they shot that as like the movie. Uh, and then somewhere late in development, they decided we're going to do a sequel set in the modern day. So let's have these bookend caps to like tie into setting up the sequel. That's what those were added for. Uh, so that's probably why Molly Shannon's in those, but not in the rest of the movie because they probably lost the original actress. She couldn't come back or something for, you know, because they did it real late in the game. I was reading that they added okay. those, uh, the, uh, the bookends of being set in present day on it. Interesting. That it does mm -hmm. make sense. Yeah, but I thought it was a lot of fun. And then there were like flashbacks within the flashback, like it got very Inception-y. Like, and I don't remember, cause I've never read the book. Like, I don't know if he does like sell his soul to the devil or something like that, or if that's just a plot point here. I feel like I read the book as like a kid. So I don't remember the original novel very well, but I feel that it's something that's like a story that's implied or something. Cause in the book they get, it's very much, he's got this mysterious past. He traveled the world. So I think there's like implications that he's some kind of devil or was in league with the devil, but nothing explicit. So he is not immortal or um, in the original? No, he's just a man. He's a okay. deformed man. Yes. He was born in the book. He's born deformed. He like okay. was a freak show performer. Got as a it. child and then eventually became this cultured, you know, music genius and yada, yada, yada. Now, other as iterations, he... have you seen the Dario Argento version, either of you? Which would be opera, correct? No, there is no. a like Phantom of the Opera. Oh, there's a Asia. Phantom of the Opera straight yeah, up. Yeah, I think oh, Asia, I is, that's how you pronounce her name, right? His daughter? Yeah, Asia Argento. I believe that she plays Christine. It's not oh. supposed to be good. Yeah, if it's if it's later day, Dario Argento, like it don't is. even bother because he fell off the rails a long time ago. <laughs> uh, as, and, as in the first half, I talk about not trashing directors, but I think it's okay to say that <laughs> Dario Argento's work had taken. He had a peak that you appreciated. He had a peak, much like John Carpenter as well. Another one who just the later work 
was not up to snuff of uh, the peak period. So it was in '98. Yeah, I think that's late in the game. And you know who played the Phantom? Who played the Phantom? Julian Sands. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Weird oh. co- connection. Weird connection. Who I'm just gonna say right now was so hot and gothic, but we'll get there. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so some other versions. Have you all? I'm sure you have, Jeremy. Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah, I've seen Phantom of the Paradise. That one's wild and. Weird. Have you seen it, Tess? Mm-mm. It is so fucking weird. I would like to watch it again. Me it too. Is so weird. So Brian, weird. Brian De Palma, believe it or not, because it's very different from the rest of his body of work. So, but it is an adaptation of this, right? Yes, if I yeah, remember it correctly. Is. It is. They turned it into a rock opera, though. Yes. Ooh. And what about Phantom of the Mall? Is that a version of Phantom of the Opera? It is. Uh, I don't think it says musical. I think it's like really loose, just taking the concept of a phantom haunting a place. But I've heard Phantom of the Mall. And if I remember the full titles, Phantom of the Mall, colon, Eric's Revenge is the full name of the movie. Uh, I've heard it's so bad it's good, like one of those cheese classics. So I've always wanted to see it, but have never seen it. Me too. And that's funny because I would have put it together that it's a direct adaptation if I would have remembered the second part of it because it's Eric's Revenge. So yeah. yeah. But yeah, this was a lot of fun. And I did like the the kills. I thought that they were fun. I think the most fun of them was the skinning alive was great. Mm-hmm. And I also, I you know, I didn't have this front of mind watching this, but I'm just thinking over it. And I think this passes the Bechtel test. Because I think... Christina, Megan, and beginning just talk about music. Mm-hmm. I think. I believe you are right. Here's the yeah. thing. I I get the Bechdel test and I like it, but I feel like there should be other factors to like being like truly passing. Like, the, I don't know. Like that there shouldn't be a plot, like a character doesn't deal with a man at all ever or something like that. My argument though is because it should make you feel very sad. Virtually, like all movies, don't pass the Bechdel that test. Is. Like it's it's insane how many movies. Like I just went to see the new Batman. Like I said in the first half, uh, well, off air, but like that doesn't because you know Catwoman's like the only woman in it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the more you like look at mainstream movies and think, because I had that on my mind too. You look at mainstream movies and like think about it. You're like, oh, there's like no women in this. Like that's so common, or you know. So that's why I think it's. The bar is so low. And we should be upset the bar is low. So I'm oh, with you, Brandon. Definitely. Joe. Yes. We and I'm, be I'm, upset. I want to be thinking about it every time I watch a movie now. And when I do, which hopefully will be all the time, I want to comment on it because I do find it interesting. I did pull up a list of 30 horror films that do pass the Bechtel test, which of mm. course the descent was on there and yep. it was fun to see some other ones on there as well. Like the ring, but like so many times it's like, because the two female characters talk about the scary tape and not a boy, like, and that's how it passes where it's like, you know, it's a horror movie. So they're not talking about life lessons and things like that. They're talking about, you know, killers. <laughs> Women should be so equally commonplace in movies that they can talk about nonsense yes. and not be the only thing they're doing aside from being naked or being a girlfriend. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. that, like Jeremy was saying, just to that point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think that all the time with just and strides are being made and I, you know, that's great. I want to see more and more and more because I think about 
my daily life and I see so many different types of people all the time. So you're like, why aren't movies reflecting that? Like it should be super diverse at all times. Cause that's just the state of the world we live in. So anyway, soapbox. Getting off of it. <laughs> Love it. No, but I appreciate the uh the, the the discussion of it earlier and that it can be more in the forefront of my mind. And that's that's a goal of mine moving forward. So thank you for that, Tess. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. Gift. Well, thanks to Alison Bechtel for putting it in the in the um lexicon and in our cultural experience in general to be aware. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. I want to say one more thing about Phantom before ratings are distributed. I loved the score. I loved that song. I thought it was good. I could listen to the haunting melody all day. Who sang <laughs> it? I don't know. It certainly wasn't our girl, Jill. You know, it looked um, like her. I was curious if either of you knew if it was her, because I thought it looked pretty good. I couldn't yeah, tell if it was her, good. but like, it wasn't like, oh God, this was like such a bad lip sync. Like, I, so I couldn't tell. I don't think it was her, but I'm not well-versed enough or skilled enough to like really know. But the, so the movie was a critical failure and a box office uh, failure, mm -hmm. but the soundtrack won an award. Oh, really? <laughs> like a Brit award, which is not like oh, cool. you know, huge, but like was recognized. And so I like was like all over the internet because I want to listen to that song. Um, and I can get it. I can get it on CD easily. Cool. But I don't have a CD player, so that's oh. not gonna help me. Um, I, I've got one in my. I've got one in my garage somewhere. So. <laughs> uh, I love the score. Yeah, I was gonna say that score. That was one of my, one of the few detractions I really had was the fact that I wanted more of the music. The music was so yeah. good. I wanted it to be in it more because I'm like, for a movie about an opera, there's long periods of no music. So I want some more music in there. Uh, because it was that good. Uh, and uh, no chandelier scene. Oh my God, you're right. I didn't even put that together. Yeah, this is like, I think one of the only ad adaptations with no chandelier sequence. Uh, yeah. And I read that it was because they ran out of money. They, they couldn't afford to do a chandelier scene and do multiple takes of it. So it got cut. Oh, yep. bummer. Well, it was fun, I gotta say. And it was directed by Dwight Little, who was the director of Halloween 4, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Look at that. Nice. So it had a kind of vibe where I'm like, yeah, there's that cool 80s slasher movie vibe like all over this thing, so. Heck yeah. Well, Jeremy, what are we gonna rate? How are we gonna rate it? Oh, I don't know. Out of, out of five uh, dead skin masks sewn onto your face. How many does everybody give it? I'm going to give it three. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Tess? I also am giving it three. Okay. Okay. And I think I am also doing a three. So it's three across the board. All right. So that's one. Scare of approval. Yeah, Tess, you gave us a scare of approval. Excellent. <laughs> and let's move on to Gothic from 1986, directed by Ken Russell. And from Letterboxd, the tagline is, Conjure up your deepest, darkest fear. Now call that fear to life. And the <laughs> uh, plot summary is extremely long. So I'm going to read the IMDb one, which is extremely short. <laughs> okay, good. The Shelleys visit Lord Byron and compete <laughs> to write a horror story. I thought it was going to add just the Shelley's visit Lord Byron, period. <laughs> I mean, it really could have been. Yeah. So what a fucking fever dream. 
Oh my God. As soon as, okay. As <laughs> soon as I saw it directed by Ken Russell, I was like, Oh no, good Lord. Cause Ken Russell directed altered States, which I've not seen. One of the weirdest trippiest movies I think ever. It's about uh, a guy takes hallucinogens uh, and goes into a sensory deprivation tube. Oh uh, yeah. And it just goes crazy from there. Like it's a fever dream. Uh, and that's, you know, what this movie was to a lesser extent, not as radical and wild as Altered States is. And Ken Russell also directed The Devils. Which I've also not seen. Which is a wild, uh, it's like banned in a lot of countries uh, or has been in the past. And it's got uh, uh, very little like home video really. So it's hard to track down, but Mm. it's a, uh, based on a true story of these like nuns and priests in a a town in France, like were possessed by the devil and just started having sex with each other in the streets and stuff. Uh, and that's what this movie is about. So it's it's the sex content and the violence that's in it that uh, got it banned. So. And the Who's Tommy, which yeah, I'm sure has got to be crazy. Which is also a trip, man. I haven't seen that in a long time. But yeah, so. looking over his filmography, I've not seen nuts. anything. Yeah. yeah, apparently. Hallucinogenic, balls to the wall, hallucinogenic. That's like his thing, his jam. Ken Russell is just wow. Now that Timothy Spall guy who played the doctor, I loved him, and he reminded me so much of LeFou from Beauty and the Beast. He's in he's in Harry Potter. He plays Peter Pettigrew, which is the connection between our two movies. By the way, is that Bill Nye is also in Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. so I was glad to see British actors in Harry Potter in both of these movies. Yep, he was like such a uber perv. He was the perviest <laughs> of all of the pervs there in this horny fever dream. I don't think we can move forward without saying how freaking horny this movie is. It yes. <laughs> truly, and like just all around sex. I mean, they talk about sort of free love. And I do, I mean, I appreciate any movie where guys kiss, especially if it's not like, like they're not like gay main characters. Yeah. Like I was just like, yes, I'm living for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's blowjobs happening. There's um one of the, I mean, it's just sort of implied, but there's a, um, a really disturbing cunnilingus scene. Oh, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Mostly <laughs> implied, which I am appreciative of. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that girl was great. That woman, Miriam Sear, I think, and this yeah. was her first film, and I loved her. Talk about intense. She's wild. I think wild. she was real scene stealer. Be also because Gabriel Byrne, Julian Sands, Natasha Richardson, um, Timothy Spall—they're all, you know have acting experience yes seasoned. seasoned and she comes in and she's just a wild card and the character is a wild card and i feel like i just kept it i kept talking about claire her character name while watching it like you know she disappeared for a while and i was like oh claire's back things are gonna get even weirder and then claire went feral i was like oh claire's feral <laughs> um, and i was loving every minute of this yeah, she's like- Good Wait, Lord. This was great. And, and then nipples turned it, had eyeballs. <laughs> yep. Weird, weird, weird flashes of just creatures in the darkness. Like, how cool is that? Um, and speaking of the casting, Gabriel Byrne, I'm a I'm a Gabriel Byrne fanboy. I like who I, isn't? He just elevates anything he's in. He's so good. But uh 
him as Lord Byron, never in a million years would I have thought to do that casting. Like, oh, who should play Lord Byron? Gabriel Byrne. I'm, like, I would never would have thought that because I'm so used to them going in a much more like whimsical, goofy direction with Lord Byron anytime he's a character in something that I was like, whoa, going for the sinister. Uh, I mean, which really works because you read the man's actual life story and he was not a very good dude, really. Uh, so, really? Like, yeah, I mean, just... Uh, terrible to his family i mean exactly what they say in this movie about all you do is cause pain to everyone that loves you like mm. he abandoned children had a lot of children out of wedlock that he never had anything to do with used and abused people left and right but did he have a sexual relationship with his sister as was implied <laughs> in this film uh, history says yes i mean Thanks. that's you know the big the big scandal that uh plagued him well, if the history books say yes, then it must be true. Mm. He must so, be a crazy devil worshiping whatever. He's the devil, he's she said. Yeah, she did say he's just straight up. Yes. He is the devil, which Gabriel Byrne would play in that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. End of days. He was the devil. Mm. In that. Wow, it, we're making um, connections all over the place. With is it Juliette Lewis in that? Oh, no, that's days? Strange no, no. Days. That's Strange Days, yeah. <laughs> I'm well, I can't that. remember who else. All I know is, end of days, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Gabriel Byrne, because uh, they just chew the scenery throughout the movie. So that's all I remember in it. It's a very different telling of this night than from the beginning of Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. that, that's exactly what, how Bride of Frankenstein starts, right? Like yeah, they're it does. sitting together mm -hmm. and like she sort of like starts reading like it's, the, the book or something. It's the same night. It's just a different version of it where they're, <laughs> they're in like a, they're drinking tea in a sitting yeah. room and she's yes. like, listen to this story I wrote. And she reads Frankenstein to them wholesale. Uh, yeah, this is way different than that. Do you know what would take this to a whole nother level? Currently unavailable on Amazon is a 3D version of this film. Whoa! <laughs> Can you imagine watching this in 3D? I don't want to. I don't want to either. <laughs> it would be too much. Too much for this world. But this was cool. I I also thought that like the weird like animatronic um <laughs> the thrusting doll yeah piano player I just thought that was such a weird addition very tourist um, trappy yeah it was it, that was like weird and um haunting and scary too I don't know everything I feel like I liked how we had every room set up to be just spooky enough if you were drunk and doing other hallucinogenics and super horny for everybody here. Um, every room you go into is a new nightmare. Um, it's, it's good. And Natasha Richardson. Oh God. Love. Yeah. Love. And 45, she was 45 when she died. That is so sad. So oh, depressing. Yeah. yeah. She was amazing. I mean, I think they were horny for the spookiness too. Like not just each other. Like I, they like wanted the nightmares. Like yeah. they, wanted this to happen so yeah. it's just so intense man seances and such and then like that whole nightmare sequence and of course i looked up the painting because you all talked about it mm -hmm. it's such a random little moment that happens but it is like it's i feel like especially if it wasn't on the poster it would be like what the fuck but since it's <laughs> on the poster you're like waiting for it and yeah. then you're like oh it's two seconds but it is really fucking creepy <laughs> i also like that every container in this damn house that could have water in it had fish in it 
like when the guy goes to wash his face and <laughs> there's goldfish in there there's like a bird bath with a fish in it like yeah. there's just yeah yeah it was it's definitely fucking crazy now in the like from the historical nature of this story were was it the five of them there that night yes oh, okay and it's believed they were doing opium. That's what I was reading. Like, you know, who okay. can know for sure? But they're pretty sure they were under the influence of opium and whatever. I, I think that was pretty much the drug in vogue at the time. So, yeah, they were tripped out and they were telling each other stories is pretty much what likely happened. I, I really liked that even among this extremely horny fever dream, like that Mary Shelley, that Natasha Richardson's character got to have like, very like human moments of like exploring like the loss that mm-hmm. he and um, Shelly experienced and how that was haunting her and like the alternate version of her world where her child lived. And, um, and so I feel like it didn't just tap into like, Oh, the devil's around us, but also like being haunted by like very real and yeah, just very human and female moments. I, I really liked that. Cause it like gave it, heart or made some of it seem a little more grounded because most of it was not grounded. And I was like near positive that this was what I thought it was in the first part, which is the night that they all got together, told spooky stories and Frankenstein was born. And I just kept waiting for the story of Frankenstein to come about. And it seemed to just come at the very end when like the tour bus is going by and they're like, and this is where Frankenstein was born. And she opens the book and starts writing it. But I didn't necessarily see the seeds planted or maybe it needs a rewatch to like figure out exactly where that was. But I kept waiting for the story to start throughout the night and it never really did. It sort of all spawned from it. By Julian Sands, super hot, naked bod. (laughs) When he was on the roof, he was shouting. Mm -hmm. This isn't it, but he was shouting about how the lightning, the life is in the lightning. And he said it's alive, I think, too. Yes. Yeah, you're right. There were the seeds, but I was looking at his butt. So you're right. There's there's another (laughs) there's another moment uh, later, too, where um, uh, Gabriel Burns says to Percy Shelley, to Julian Sands, uh, he calls him the modern Prometheus. uh, And that's Frankenstein's full title is Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus by Mary Shelley. So that's, you know, so got it. It's, it's just the, less the seeds obvious. are sprinkled throughout. Yeah, it's not obvious. It's not explicit till the end. Well, I the appreciate voiceover, that even more. Yeah, when the yeah. tour guide is just like, that's how Frankenstein was <laughs> Like, I like, that was the trippiest part is that he decided to end it with like, just yeah. a tour guide from an actual like tour or something talking. Yeah, it was a weird choice, especially from how insane everything else felt. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, here's the button. And then the baby is in the water and it does like the slow freeze zoom on it. It looks like Voldemort. So I don't Um, I also appreciated, and I I mean this with love, but like when Gabriel Byrne was, I think topless, I don't think he was totally naked. I was like, he just had a very dad bod, like a very regular (laughs) body. But I I loved that. I was like, yeah, he wasn't like, I'm gonna get in shape for this. He was like, Take me like a yeah. He's like, here are my pointy nips. Take them or leave them. You're gonna take them. I thought the same thing, and I was like, you know what? Good on you, Gabriel. (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. I think you're the real MVP of this movie. (laughs) And Ken Russell was with his family on the tour bus at the end of the film. 
Oh, just a little tidbit for you. There you oh, go. Wow. <laughs> okay. I saw him. I was like, there's Ken. There, there's his wife. There's his two little kids. No, I'm just kidding. I read it in yeah. IMDb trivia. So. Uh, I was like, you know what looks like? <laughs> do, you, do you think he actually like took a tour? And that's where he's like, I'm going to make a movie of this. Like, like I'll, I'll just... direct this. <laughs> Maybe. Yep. I'm going to make <laughs> That would be the coolest thing ever. I like how it really did focus on her. Obviously, if this is the night she wrote that. Um, but I feel like Shelly played like sort of a background character who was just like obsessed with how everything smelled like death. And it like wasn't about him. It was about her. And I think mm -hmm. I just appreciated that, especially for how her real life must have been in 1816 when this took mm -hmm. place. Um, that she, she would have been very second fiddle to her husband and all of his professional and all of his aspirations. So I like how the movie just sort of made him not stupid or anything, just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Light, lightning is life. Everything smells like death. Go, go do that. And it was about her. I just like yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. And I sort of forgot about the Bechdel test because I watched this early Sunday morning. Not that I should ever forget about the Bechdel test, but I don't know if she, if the two women had a conversation ever. Like at the beginning, I think they were chatting, but I think but it, it was, was about, about Byron. Yeah. Or um, yeah, it was. Yeah, so I, you're right. I think they did just talk about him all the time. Now that I'm thinking about the scenes, because the 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 second gal, the sort of wild one, she was always talking about him. Yes, because mm -hmm. she's obsessed with him. Obsessed. Yeah, obsessed. Seriously. Which your yeah. friend John Tess says all the time. Obsessed. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, he does. He does. I love it. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely is was way like going into it. I was like, oh, this is probably gonna be pretty like boring and like, oh, historical fiction. But like, I could not have prepared myself for what this movie does. <laughs> I tried to get ready when I was like, uh oh, directed by Ken Russell. Strap in. And that didn't mean anything to me. So I saw it on Bravo when I was 13 years old. Oh, wow. Mm. And I'm sure things were like cut for cable television, but I just like loved it, loved it. And mm. now watching it, not 13 years old, I'm like, I loved this because I was so horny at 13. I was in puberty <laughs> and I was like, look at all the spooky fucking, or, you know, like, I don't know, but I was so drawn to it as an adult who is, not currently going through puberty i was like oh my there is so much fucking happening here everybody's doing everything um it was really it was funny but i also had a horror movie crush on julian sands mm. i just i loved warlock i thought he was and i rarely thought men were cute and so i just was taken by him and i so seeing him in this when i was 13 i was like that's my man that's mm -hmm. the one I like. I've never seen Warlock. Uh, no. Yeah, and I need to I need to revisit because I think I saw it when I was like 12. You know, it yeah. was one of my many like sci-fi channel uh Saturday afternoon movie, like as I saw so many of these things, but I remember Warlock being a constant yeah. rotation then. So and he I was in to... Boxing Helena, which is one of my faves. I've mm. also not seen that. Oh, it's a it's not horror movie enough for me to have recommended it here for you all, but it's a it's a must watch. 
It's I remember it being all the rage in regards to it being talked about and Entertainment Weekly and such. That's sort of where my my movie news came from back in the day. It's mm-hmm. so weird. And I love Sherilyn Fenn and um, mm-hmm. uh, David Lynch's daughter, whose name is not in my brain right now, directed it. And it's just it's mm-hmm. really weird. He's just great. I just love him. So. Is it Jennifer Lynch? I think you're right. Yeah, you are correct. That's it. I okay. was going to say, yep, Jennifer Lynch, uh, who, yeah, she uh, does some challenging work, much like her father. Yeah, well, cool. Sh- anything else you'd like to say on this? What a trip. What a trip indeed. Out of how many animatronic life-size dolls, out of five, how many animatronic dolls do you give it? Uh, I'm going to give it a four. Yes? I also give it a four. I'm going to give it a three and a half. But Good enough! S- still a second. Scare of approval. Yeah, buddy. That's the way we do it. Yes, Tess. These were some good picks. Yeah, so very glad. solid. Very solid. 80s flicks, yes. unusual, a little out there, and just fun. Essential viewing if you've not seen them. Go check them out. I, yeah. I don't think that we could have really spoiled anything because... Uh, just they got to be seen to be believed. That's right. <laughs> Very visually distinct movies, both of them. So, mm-hmm. Tess, thank you for joining us on Lucky Episode 70. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'm just so honored to do this with you all and be a part of what I listen to regularly. And it's just such a treat for me. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. The treat was all ours. I yeah, don't think that's you. how that phrase goes, but that's what I'm going to say. Thank you for <laughs> saying yes and coming on our show. Awesome. Well, everybody keep um keep watching scary movies. Evil dies tonight. That's we must always remember, right, Tess? <laughs> I would scream that for Tess and Puffs, the show we were in. And Jeremy heard me the night he came, but I would always yell, Evil dies tonight. <laughs> Evil dies tonight, people. And remember. This is a podcast, not a charm school. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and watch scary movies, talk about them, share what's good, what's bad, talk about it all, because... Scaring is sharing. Yes. And um, we'll see you later. Thanks, Taz. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. See ya. Bye. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.